I'm Peter. And I'm Felice. Welcome to our travel podcast. We're specialist travel writers and we've spent half a lifetime exploring every corner of the world. So we want to share with you some of our extraordinary experiences and the amazing people we've met along the way. Today we're in what was originally a 13th century abbey, gazing out through the lattice panes of a bay window. The view of the countryside here in Wiltshire in the west of England is a fine one, but that's not what we're here for. No, we're here for the window itself, because it's the shaft of light that streams through it on an August day 186 years ago that changed our whole world forever. We're in the ancient village of Laycock. This quaint medieval community with its cobble streets and A-frame cottages and coaching inns set around a tumbling stream seems rather familiar. As you walk around each street corner, vague memories, historical snapshots, if you like, of assorted, unrelated costume dramas vie for conscious recognition. Perhaps we've been here before in another life. Of course, we have been here before, not in a previous life, but in this one, through cinema, movie theatre and TV screens. Yes, in Pride and Prejudice, Colin Firth stole the hearts of a generation of Jane Austen fans. Scenes from Downton Abbey were also shot in Laycock, which is now used regularly as a film set. But none of this would have happened without that aureal window of Laycock Abbey. In the wake of his dissolution of the monasteries, Henry VIII sold it off as a private family home. The building and almost the whole village is owned these days by the National Trust. Claire, our guide to the Abbey, took us inside. So the house is currently closed for the winter, although we will reopen the Great Hall for Christmas. But I'm going to take you through into the cloisters, which is open all year round and is one of the areas where parts of Harry Potter were filmed. This would be normally where you come in through the, uh, through the main door uh, and into the Great Hall. This is the Great Hall, a magnificent building with an enormous Tudor fireplace. Blackened by time and smoke. Quite austere, but then you would expect that in an abbey. So the Great Hall uh, was built by uh, John Ivory Talbot in the uh, 18th century. The Great Hall is filled with terracotta statues, uh, and there are two in particular to look out for. The first one is above the fireplace. The central one there. The yes. central one, which is um, uh, the statue of Ella, the founder of the abbey. And the second one is on your left as you come in, and you will see a goat with a sugar lump on its nose. That's a pretty unusual thing to see. So the sugar lump was put there uh, in 1919, by a student who was staying at the Abbey as a practical joke, but we've kept it there ever since. Same sugar lump? Not quite. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a pretty important window we have here, Claire. Uh, Yes, this is in the South Gallery, which was used as a, a living room in the early 19th century. And this latticed window is what revolutionized the way that we see the world. Yes, on August the 22nd, 1835, Probably around mid-morning on what was a wonderful hot summer's day, the scientist owner of the abbey set up his primitive wooden camera on the mantel shelf opposite this window. He first brushed a sheet of writing paper with table salt and silver nitrate, placed it inside the box, released the shutter, and started an exposure that may well have lasted for hours. The result, clearly showing the mullion frame of the window in light relief, is the earliest photographic negative to survive, and quite probably the very first negative ever to be shot. 
The photographer's name was William Henry Scott Talbot, recognised now as one of the fathers of the photographic process. Uh, so this is the Blue Parlour, which was William Henry Fox Talbot's private study. And he used to work long into the night here on all of his many and varied interests. He was fascinated by astronomy, by botany, by chemistry, by all kinds of scientific and artistic subjects. Well, photography is what we'd always remember him for. That's certainly true. Yes, but as he wrote in 1839, that's four years later, I do not profess to have perfected an art, but to have commenced one, the limits of which it is not possible at present to ascertain. I only claim to have based this new art upon a secure foundation. It will be for more skilful hands than mine to rear the superstructure. So now we're in the cloister, which is uh, the North Cloister Walk, which is a remarkable colonnade with a, a lawn in the middle. And this is the one that's connected with Harry Potter. Yes. No, there was a lot of filming here, and I'll take you through to the warming room and show you the cauldron that everybody believes is a stage prop and is actually the real thing. So now, very Harry Potter-like, we've found ourselves beside an enormous cauldron. So this cauldron is made, uh, was made in the 1500s in Antwerp. We don't actually know why it came to Laycock, uh, but we do know that it was used for cooking, and local legend says that it was used during a visit of Queen Anne in the early 1700s when a side of pork and a sackload of peas were cooked in it. I hope they cooked them for a long time. I hope so too. So did that appear? So did that appear in the film? Yes. So within the warming house, this was uh, a very popular place with the nuns as it was the only room they used which had a fire. And the nuns were allowed a fire between All Saints' Day, which is the 1st of November, and Good Friday. And you can still see the remains of the large hooded fireplace on the left of the door as you go in. So tell us about William Charrington. So Sir William Charrington was a Tudor courtier and a man on the make uh, he was uh, uh, also a master of the Bristol Mint and uh, he embezzled money uh, from from the Mint and uh, was done for fraud. Um, he bought Laycock Abbey uh, after the dissolution of the monasteries and turned it into a Tudor house, a Tudor family home. Um, but unusually for the time, he kept a lot of the monastic elements such as the cloister, uh, which you can now walk around. Thank you, Claire. We'll now leave you here at the Abbey and take a stroll, I think, around the village. We've arranged to meet up with Linda, a local woman who's lived here for many, many years, and she's going to show us around and tell us a little bit about the history of the village. Laycock's an ancient settlement. People have been living in this area for 3,000 years, ever since the Iron Age. How do we know that, Linda? 
We know that because there's an Iron Age fort at the top of Nash Hill. We know that the Romans were here because our southern boundary is a dead straight line that follows a Roman road. We know the Saxons were here because Lacock or Lacouc is a Saxon word that means a small stream or a settlement alongside a small stream. We know the Normans were here because we have an entry in the Doomsday Book. 1086. We also know that William the Conqueror visited Lacock in the run-up to the Doomsday Book. It's in Norman Chronicles and he visited his lords and bishops while they were compiling the Doomsday Book. So, Linda, here we are inside the Tithe Barn. Tell us about it. The Tithe Barn is 13th century and was built just after the Abbey. And Tithe is a Latin word that means a tenth, and it's where the villagers would have come to pay their rent, tenth of their income. It wouldn't necessarily have been in money. It might have been in meat or eggs or vegetables from their gardens. But the tithe barn has had many changes over the centuries. It's been a market hall. It's been a place for social gatherings for the people of the village. It's amazing. It's huge. Very well preserved. Yeah, a magnificent king pose. You know, it's a magnificent building, beautifully maintained and restored. The prominent houses are at either end of the high street, and the one in front of us is the Red Lion. Uh, This was built um, to replace the old Red Lion that was pulled down. This was built in uh, 1730 and is red brick. Yes, that Um, looks very unusual. It is unusual, but the reason is that in 1730 when it was built, bricks had to be made and transported from elsewhere in the country and were expensive. Stone was dug out of the quarries uh, nearby in Bath and was cheap. So, in fact, the red brick was done for status. The sides and the back are stone. So it's only the the front. The facade is... It's only the facade that is red brick. And I think it was used for filming, wasn't it? Pride and Prejudice, which is 28 years ago. So here we've come to the old postmistress's shop, or rather her home, I think it was both. Uh, And she left here in the 1980s, but what she left behind is a quite extraordinary collection of bits and pieces throughout the previous century. I should interrupt and say where it is. It's next to the Red Lion pub on the High Street. There's some very quirky things in the window. There's syrup of figs. I remember syrup of figs. There's tincture of iodine with a sign saying poison above it. And then there's obviously castor oil and dundee orange marmalade in a glorious looking jar that you wouldn't find today. Calvert's carbolic toilet soap, which looks like it's probably Edwardian. And the packet looks Edwardian. And there's some soap out of the packet too, which looked very unpleasant, very old and rather a bit mouldy, but um, I'm sure they were nice once. And there's Sloane's liniment. I don't know what that's for. Oh, Sloane's liniment, you rub on for all eggs and pens. There's a biscuit tin with Queen as a child and Princess Margaret and their parents. And then when you actually sort of peep further into the shop, you see a whole 
treasure trove of uh, sweets and things like that that really haven't changed probably since the 1950s. There's uh, glassy fruit drops and needlers buttermint drops and treeboard giant spearmint imperials and oaken fruit rock. Remember these great big jars of sweets. Uh, and everything's just been left as it was. Apparently when the last owner died... It was left exactly as it was, and that was in about the 80s, and nothing's been done. And it's a pity, really, because it's a museum, and yet I think people are allowed to go in twice a year. And uh, it's, I think it could be a better display, bigger and better, and open to the public more, because children would love seeing all of that. This is the house that they blew up in the first Harry Potter film when his parents were blown up and Harry got his scar on his forehead. It's next to the workhouse and the t old tannery. It says private on the gate. You can't go in. This is our workhouse, early date, 1833, before the actual poor law came in. Can you just explain what a workhouse is? The church looked after the poor and the ill in the parish. And in 1833, an actual house, the workhouse, was built to accommodate the poor and the ill. And the one that you see in front of you, the ladies lived in one half, the gentleman lived in the other half and the governor lived in the middle bit. It's not like Oliver Twist. A lot of local families would have been in the workhouse. They didn't necessarily stay in the workhouse when they went in there. In the winter time, when there was no food and it was cold, they would have gone into the workhouse. But in the summer, when there was work on the land and there was fresh food to be had, they would have gone back home. So what's your main impression of the place? It's very pretty. It's almost like a film set, which of course it is, because the houses are absolutely perfect. There's no peeling paint or washing hanging out, or, or obviously there wouldn't be at this time of year, but it's all very, very picturesque. The Doors and windows are all painted the same colour, every single building in the village, and that's a sort of... National Trust greeny blue colour, which is very attractive. Yes, as Claire explained, nearly all the village belongs to the National Trust and has done since 1944 when the Talbot family donated it to the nation. So everything's beautifully looked after. I think there are only two private houses that were in private hands before 1944. All the other houses are tenants of the National Trust. I don't know how you become a tenant here, do you? I think you apply to the National Trust. Supposedly you have to fit into what they want. So someone who's going prepared to really look after the property, make sure that it um, looks good all the time. I guess it's a little bit like living inside a goldfish bowl because the number of tourists who come here in the summer months in particular is quite enormous. I mean, even today, which is must be low season, there are coach loads of school children. All looking around. Well, it certainly is like being on a film set. I mean, wonderful, mainly 18th century streets and little curio shops. There's no litter anywhere. It's all very clean. So, yeah, it's really worth coming for the day. There's some good places to eat as well. Yeah, we're just coming up now to the 
sign of the angel. The sign of the angel, that's a wonderful name for, for a, a restaurant. And we did actually eat there when we came here before. It was very good indeed. It's a, an old inn, I guess. I've, I've just learned actually today that it's the, the sign of the angel sounds like it was um, something religious connotation to it. But in fact, uh, an angel was a medieval coin, and I think that's what it refers to. Mm, that's interesting. So if you want to find out more, go to www.nationaltrust.org.uk and then you'll be able to search for Laycock. That's spelled L-A-C-O-C-K. So if you'd like to see some pictures of Laycock and the houses and the buildings we've been talking about, do go to our website. That's www.actionpacktravel.com. That's all for now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, actionpacktravel.com, or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or any of the many podcast platforms. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love you to sign up for our regular emails too at peter at actionpacktravel.com. Until next week, stay safe. And I am you.